Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. European parliamentary elections are the world's second largest exercise in democracy. And this year, the results were unexpected. This is Worldly, part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Jen Williams, and I'm leading a split squad here today with Alex Ward in Vienna. Hey. And returning special guest, Jen Kirby, with us in New York. Hey, Jen. And since there are two Jens, you can just call me Kirby for today. (laughs) All right. So we got Alex and Kirby and me. So, Kirby, you've done some really great reporting for Vox on these elections. So what is the European Parliament in the first place? Uh, Sure. So the European Parliament is one of the EU's legislative bodies. It's kind of like the rough equivalent of a House of Representatives where citizens of the 28 member states directly elect their representatives to sit um, on this body. There are three different things, right? There's the European Commission, which is like the EU's executive branch, And then there's this Council of the European Union. We don't strictly have a parallel for that in the U.S., but it's also kind of like a legislative branch. But to be clear, today we're just going to focus on the European Parliament, which basically represents like the people of Europe. Alex, what does it actually do? So really it comes down to it can either approve or reject legislation. It can't even introduce it. It's actually a a pretty simple body to understand in that sense. Um, So if someone puts legislation forward, whether it be a trade deal, Brexit, whatever it may be, um, it can give its thumbs up, it can give a thumbs down, or while giving a thumbs down, it can kind of be like, hey, we'll accept it as long as you make X, Y, Z changes. Got it. So it's a powerful body that's really there to represent the will of the European people. Right. Okay. So just so you're clear, like we have 28 member countries. There is an election in each one of these member countries. So like if you're in France, you vote in France for the people who are going to represent France in the European Parliament. If you're in Germany, same thing, etc. 28 times over. Kind of boring. It sounds kind of boring normally. Except this year, it really, really, really mattered. Yeah, so the reason why they were more interesting this year is because they were kind of seen as a bit of a litmus test for where the political winds were blowing in Europe. Um, And kind of the headliner of that was the far-right populist nationalist politicians in Europe. Um, Your Marine Le Pen's uh, in France, 
um, Matteo Salvini in Italy, and they were really organized and coordinated, um, and they wanted to represent in the European Parliament. So that's why this year people are paying a lot more attention than usual. And, and, and just to put a fine point on that, to be clear, like how different that is, we've had many uh, European Parliament elections before, and far-right parties across Europe don't really coordinate well together. Well, there was this concerted effort this year was to kind of create this far-right populist EU skeptic bloc. And so the fear was that like these this united front would come into the parliament and try to kind of change it from the inside. Um, and what it turns out is that like they didn't get the massive gains that people feared. They did do quite well, to be clear. They did better than in years past. And while most of the gains actually came from Italy, what ended up happening is they gained more seats, which then means they could have more power. At the same time, what also happened is that um, from the left wing, the Green Party, which is a bit more left to those typical center-left parties that we're all used to in Europe and even in the U.S., they gained a surprising amount of seats, and that was really the big surprise of the election. And so when you put those two things together, what you see is a gain of the pseudo-far left, a gain in the far right, and really that therefore means that that traditional center that usually has governed Europe from the center-left to the center-right collapsed a little bit. And so that's really the story of this election. Yeah. So kind of the too long didn't read is that the right one, the left one, um, but the center lost their 40-year majority, their absolute majority. They had been in control since 1979. And overall, the message really seemed to be that the people of Europe are disillusioned with the establishment. And this was kind of a referendum on that. And people were looking for options elsewhere from their traditional parties. Right. And like people were really interested in this election. Like I said, there was a more than 50% voter turnout this time. So just for Americans who might not be familiar with the Green Party, there are representatives in like each country, but there's also this kind of like EU wide block of Greens. And they represent like pro EU, pro immigration, pro refugee. Uh, the Green comes from like them wanting to be, you know, pro-environment, fighting climate change, things like that. And Kirby, you talked to a lot of experts who had some theories about why they were so popular as well. Yeah. Even though we were surprised that the Greens did so well on sort of this European-wide scale, they've been making some pretty significant gains, particularly in places like Germany. And one of the reasons is, um, again, kind of speaking to that collapse of the center, where people are kind of disillusioned with the center-left and center-right parties, but particularly with the Greens on the center-left, after the 2008 financial crisis, which, as you guys can remember, hit Europe really hard, people kind of are looking at the center-left and seeing it muddled and didn't really do a great job of handling it. And the Greens have kind of emerged. They've moderated themselves. They're not as radical as they used to be in the 70s or 80s when they first kind of came on the scene. And they just have a really clear, coherent message, which is attractive to a lot of people who feel like the center left has gotten wishy-washy. And this is really clear in a place like Germany, where the Greens were doing really well in state elections this year and then ended up coming in second in Germany in the European parliamentary elections in front of the center left party. Right. And like they didn't have that baggage from the 2008 financial crisis like you were saying the center-left parties did. And, you know, on top of that, like you said, they had this, like, really clear climate change message. 
So there was this political scientist who was talking to Germany's paper, The Local, and he said, quote, the Greens are surfing on top of the zeitgeist. These voters are looking outside and saying it's too hot or it's raining too much. And they want a party to address climate issues for their future or their children's future or their grandchildren's future. So they decided to vote green, end quote. So we have the far right parties doing really well. The leftist green parties doing really well. And the absolute collapse of the center left and center right. After the break, what does all of this mean for Europe? Support for this episode comes from Viator. Sure, a good souvenir is always fun. But it's the experiences that people love the most about traveling. When you get back home, that t-shirt might fade and that snow globe might break, but it's those once-in-a-lifetime memories that will last. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like architectural sightseeing, snorkeling excursions, sunset cruises, and so much more. With Viator, you can reserve everything from simple tours to thrilling adventures with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries. Whether you're a foodie, a history buff, or an adrenaline junkie, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you can have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Make memories that will last forever with Viator. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. So we had this shocking result in the European parliamentary elections. But what does it actually tell us about the continent's future? Alex, you happen to be on said continent in Vienna. So why don't you kick us off? What does this mean for Europe? So, yeah, I mean, I think it's worth taking a quick step back to remember that these elections you know, usually not the biggest deal. Like, there's a feeling among tons of Europeans here that, like, this is the election where you kind of put your protest vote in, right? If you're, if there's a vote for, like, president in your country or even, you know, local representative, you kind of vote in that one normally. When it comes to the European Parliament, because it's such, like, a supranational body, it's kind of out there and nebulous, if you feel like you want to throw a wrench into the system, like, that's where you do it. And so it's not so surprising in a sense that the more sort of left-leaning parties and the more right-leaning parties gain some power here. This is likely where a lot of disaffected Europeans uh, throughout the continent kind of went, I'm going to I'm gonna totally mess with things here and, and kind of shake things up. Uh, that does not mean, of course, that there won't be actual implications from those protest votes or, uh, or from these results, right? I mean, what we're going to see now is a lot more dysfunction in the European Parliament. It's already famous for barely working because it's just because <laughs> it, it's just got so many different kind of uh ideologies represented that sounds there. familiar to americans i think <laughs> yeah exactly right um and so now that we've got even sort of more polarization 
stronger parties on the further left, stronger parties on the further right, there's a lot less room for sort of compromise here. I mean, I think basically what Alex said is uh, right on the money. And what will really happen, or it looks like now, uh, the, the big questions are how much power will the Greens have now and other sort of smaller liberal parties now that the center majority has kind of caved a little bit, they're going to really be reliant on those other pro-EU parties to pass legislation. So the Greens are kind of the kingmakers potentially in the new European Parliament, which will be an interesting development. Uh, The other thing is, what will the far right do? Will they actually be able to organize? Um, And if so, what will that look like? Will they just be an obstructive force where they're basically trying to stop and block uh, the European Parliament from getting anything done? Or will they actually manage to somehow unite? That seems unlikely just because when you're a nationalist party, you're automatically looking out for your own interests. So cooperation isn't exactly the name of the game, but it will really be interesting to see what they bring to the European Parliament when it starts its new term in July. One thing that I kind of want to make clear before we you know, move forward and talk about the center here is that like, are we sure what kind of policies are going to come through? No. I mean, could they we be surprised? Sure. So, so when we take a step back and try to understand what all of this really means, what I think when you look at the European Parliament election results in, in sort of in totality, what it shows is it's a barometer for feeling in Europe, right? There's a clear dissatisfaction with the status quo. There's a clear dissatisfaction with politicians that have baggage that have that are, that are incumbents that have been around for a while. There's clearly a feeling for for a change here. People want something new. They want people to shake up the system. They want new ideas. And while they may not vote for that in, in their own countries, right? There's at least this feeling that maybe the union, this big crazy sort of political body needs new blood and needs some new direction. And I think that's where the feeling is. When we take the 28 countries together, that's sort of the main main thing we can pull out of this. Alex, I think it's a really good point. I mean, Americans can definitely relate to that. When you talk about the Greens, these farther left parties, and then the farther right anti-establishment parties, you kind of saw the same thing in the 2016 elections, right? Like you had a lot of people who were really into Bernie Sanders, who is like not a green, but I mean, he does kind of stand up for a lot of the more progressive ideals that you would associate with them. And you also had a lot of, in some cases, the same people who also ended up being really into Donald Trump, who is also coming in, you know, to shake up the system, who wasn't part of the establishment. I personally know people who really supported Bernie Sanders and hated Hillary Clinton. And then when Hillary got the nomination, they switched to Trump, which to a lot of people might seem baffling, right? But it really fits what you just described that we just saw in Europe, where people don't really necessarily care if it's the left or the right. They just don't want the people in power anymore. They don't want the center. They don't want like the boring status quo centrist parties. So I think it really speaks to not just in Europe, but like this broader sentiment you're seeing in the U.S. and Europe and in other countries as well, where people are just like, we've had enough Things are not going well. Somebody, dear God, come in and shake things up. I don't even really care if you want to tear the institution down or do this other thing, but like, just don't do the same thing anymore. Yeah, I think that's right. Listeners may remember that we did an episode a bit ago on sort of the collapse of the center. And this is not just happening in the US or in Europe, it's happening worldwide, right? Bolsonaro's victory in Brazil, for example. And so this is clearly a global phenomenon. We focus a lot about on it here in the U.S. We are now focusing on it in Europe. 
But let's not lose sight that this is kind of happening elsewhere. Um, this is a widespread problem. The EU election being sort of the latest and, and in a way greatest manifestation of it. But I don't want to lose sight of the fact that like the Greens and the far right didn't just gain power because of this worldwide movement, right? They are offering kind of solutions. And in a sense, because of that, whether you like them or not, they are becoming more mainstream than the fringe now. And so actually, I, Kirby, since, since you've been following this so closely, like, can you just explain sort of that phenomenon to me? Like how the Greens and the far right move from these fringes all the way back into kind of being, in a sense, the mainstream parties of Europe now? Yeah. I mean, I don't know so much as where they migrate on the ideological spectrum, but the reality is that they're not fringe because they're part of the European political system now. The far right has a pretty strong representation in the European Parliament, and in turn, it's starting to have representation within the individual member states. And the Greens on the left are showing the same, that they're basically, people feel confident enough to go out and vote for that particular party, which means they're they're part of the system now. And it's not so much that they're fringe, it's just that the political landscape is way, way more fragmented, and people are choosing from a lot more different options than maybe they hadn't in the past. So maybe just one more time, when we put all of this together, let's remember kind of a couple of things. One, that this is kind of a snapshot of the moment. It's not necessarily Europe's destiny, right? It's possible that the center regains some power. Uh, two, that even though it's a snapshot, it does mean that Europe will be living with these consequences for quite some time. And it's possible that the EU will actually suffer even more challenges than it already has. Um, but then let's kind of go with three. And I think this is maybe the hopeful message, which is let's not lose sight of that 50% you know, plus of people voted in this. There's, there was always this feeling that the European Union was this old stodgy body that a bunch of people were kind of thinking it's going to wither away. No one cares about it. Well, clearly they do. And sure, maybe they're only, you know, lobbying in a protest vote, but people do clearly care about it. And that means like those people who thought the EU was kind of withering away, it's here to stay, but it may just not be here in the way a lot of people might want it to be. And that is a great place. Thank God we can leave it on a somewhat positive note for once on this show. Uh, Jen Kirby, thank you so much for joining us from New York. Alex Ward, as always, thank you. And thank you for sitting under a blanket and recording this from Vienna. You're a superstar. I also want to thank our producer, Bert Pinkerton. And we have some exciting news, Worldly fans. We are going to tape our first ever live show. It's going to take place in D.C. starting at 6 p.m. June 24th. That's a Monday. We will put in a link to the RSVP in the show notes. And I want to encourage all of you to rate, subscribe, and review Worldly wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. 
Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a smart water alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. 